My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the face of all people, a light to revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. My brothers and my sisters in Christ, what was your reaction when the iPhone 10 came out? And for the first time, we were able to unlock a phone just by looking at it. Because this phone, through facial recognition software, could tell who you are. I'll admit that my reaction was, well, this can't be good. And I'm sure plenty of us had visions of a dystopian future where robots rule the world and we're all enslaved by machines. But artificial intelligence will never be able to match the human ability to recognize each other, right? You see your favorite football star at the Dunkin' Donuts. You see your childhood friend get out of a car in front of your house. You see your mom come into your room to get you up out of your crib. And the sight of this person floods your mind and your heart with everything they mean to you, everything you know about who they are. A machine can't do that. This morning, we are taught, we are modeled how to recognize Christ and what he means to us by watching these individuals react to seeing him. My prayer for you this morning is that seeing Christ, you can react in the exact same way when you recognize your Savior and that it fills you with joy. Because in our lesson from Luke, we're introduced to a lot of people who have things that we are to admire about them, aren't we? First, there's Joseph and Mary coming to the temple, doing what they were supposed to be doing as Israelite parents, believing in God's law. Mary had certain ceremonial rites that she would have to go through because of the the process of childbirth, but more importantly, they had to redeem their firstborn son. You see, God taught his people in the Old Testament that the firstborn son of every family belongs to him. So Israelite families for centuries would bring a sacrifice to the temple to sort of buy the baby back so that they could take him home. This was not God playing some sick joke or being masochistic. This was God teaching them a lesson, a lesson the significance of which will become clear in a few minutes. So here they are doing what devout and religious people of their day do, coming to the temple. But they thought maybe this would just be a normal temple run where they would do what was required of them by the law, but then a scene gets caused, doesn't it? This guy named Simeon, our second individual to admire. Simeon is a special kind of guy. As far as I'm aware, this is the only time that we learn of him, but everything that Luke has to say about Simeon is entirely positive. He was a devout man. He was a a religious, a God-fearing man. And wouldn't you love it if an inspired author of Scripture said that about you? Simeon was a blessed kind of guy, and he was privileged in a very special way because God had revealed to him that he would not die before he personally with his own two eyes, would behold the Savior. And there he was, at the temple. Simeon sees this baby, and he recognizes his Messiah, his Lord. 
And so he does something that I think modern parents would pretty much hate. He runs up to these parents and he grabs the baby and he starts singing this song. And as uncomfortable as I'm sure Joseph and Mary were in that moment, perhaps they understood his excitement when they heard him sing those words that are familiar to us because we sing them every communion Sunday. Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared before the face of all people. He's talking about a baby. Simeon was a guy who was waiting. Waiting, Luke says, for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for relief. Waiting for God to intervene in the human situation. Waiting for God to do something about the mess that we're in. He was waiting. And aren't you, too? Aren't you waiting for the same thing? You and I are not under the oppression of Roman rule like Israel was in Simeon's day, but we know a thing or two about oppression. Because everything wrong with the world, everything wrong with people, everything wrong with us is a sign of the oppression of what we refer to as sin. Sin oppresses us. We are waiting to be relieved of sin. And aren't you waiting? When you see two people really go at it, whether physically or just yelling at each other, aren't you waiting for the day when we don't have to see conflict like this anymore? Or when you fail and you fall and there's nothing left for you to say except, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Isn't part of the regret, the guilt, the remorse that you feel a desire to never fail again? The desire to see the day when you can finally live the way you want to live, the way you know you should live. Aren't we waiting for consolation? Waiting for God to do something about our oppressor sin? Our consolation is here it's the baby. It's Jesus. Because our next individual that we're introduced to is a prophet named Anna. And Anna had personally experienced the effects of sin. The big one. Death. Death is in the world because sin is in the world. And Anna knew it personally because her sweetheart that she was married to for seven short years was taken from her. And she was left a widow. She never remarried, as far as we're aware. But what does Anna do in her grief, in her sorrow? She goes to church. She goes to the temple. And night and day, she prays and she fasts. She hears the promises again of God's word She looks forward to the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem, it says. The consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, whether we're talking about Simeon or Anna or you, what we are waiting for is here. God has acted. God has intervened. And here Jesus is at the temple, starting his mission of redemption, starting his mission of consolation. Because the very acts, the the rites and the sacrifices that his family was going through, that was Jesus beginning his process of obeying God's law for you. 
of beginning to conform his life to God's will, to his desire of being obedient, of being perfect in God's sight, to forgive your imperfections. To live the life that you could never live in your place. To free you from sin's oppression by freeing you from sin's effects. Sin is defeated through the work of Christ. But did you catch that very cryptic thing that Simeon said to Mary? A sword will pierce your soul, he said to her. I have to imagine that Mary turned over those words for the rest of her life until they became true. I have no idea, and I hope I never do, what it feels like to watch your child die. Worse than that, to watch your child be murdered. But Mary went through it. And as she saw her Jesus, her baby boy, hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying, surely she felt like a sword was piercing her heart because she loved him. This was her son. But as much as she loved him, she did not love him more than God the Father loved him. She, it, as much as Jesus was her son, he was more so God's son. Jesus left a perfect relationship with God, God loving God, Father loving Son, in order to be our sacrifice. Because that's how much God loves you. That he sent his one and only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Jesus was on that cross, a sword piercing Mary's heart for you. That was the plan. To forgive you of your sins. This is a love that you and I cannot have imagined. And our human brains cannot understand. This is how much God loves you. How far he was willing to go to intervene. To answer your oppressor. To free you from the cage. From the captivity of sin and its guilt. That's God. Offering his sacrifice. To redeem you. The lesson that that lesson about the redemption of the firstborn was supposed to teach all pointed ahead to this moment when Jesus offered his life up to save you. That's your freedom. That's your consolation. That is your redemption, brothers and sisters. Recognize Jesus for who he is. Because as Simeon says, not everyone will. That's the saddest part of what Jesus came to do. As easy as his forgiveness is, as full and free and right there as God's grace is, Simeon reveals that some people won't rise in their forgiveness, but they will fall. Because Jesus did not fit the mold of a Messiah that they had struck for themselves. Just because Jesus did not come to bring a political kingdom or to wage a military war or to to own a patch of dirt on this planet, because he didn't come to be the Messiah some people thought he would be, they rejected him. And they would fall because of it. But that's not you, brothers and sisters. You see Jesus for who he really is. You see Jesus for what he really came to do. You watch Jesus live his life of active obedience to God's law, and you know that he's doing that for you, for your eternal salvation. 
you watch Jesus go to the cross and you know that he's doing that for you, for your forgiveness. And you witness Jesus rise from the grave and you know that you too will rise. You know that your waiting is over. Your consolation is here. Your redemption is true now and always. But we know that there are moments where it feels, it seems, like sin is still the oppressor. Like sin still has the upper hand. When temptation strikes or when conflict rages on, in those moments, brothers and sisters, when you're on the verge of being discouraged or despairing, remember Simeon and Anna, these two people who waited for God to do his thing. Take a cue from Anna and go to God's house. Consult God's word. Get back into the promises of God because he promises, he swears to you by his own name that there will come a day when all conflict will cease, when all sin will be set aside, when sin and all of its effects will be gone. That day is coming. Wait for it. God will not fail to make good on any one of his promises for you. Just you wait and see. Because when Jesus comes back, you'll recognize him. You'll see him with your own two eyes. And then you'll say the words of Simeon that we sing on Communion Sundays. You will say, Lord, you can dismiss me in peace. My eyes behold your salvation, which you've prepared for me before the face of all people. You'll say that. When you see Jesus, you'll recognize him. Just you wait and see. Amen. Would you please stand?